Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level, the podcast formerly known as Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Uh, You know, I have had so much fun. Now we are at like almost 600 episodes. This one, I think, is like 591 or 92, something like that. And I've had so much fun along the way. I have interviewed entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business leaders, CEOs, people in all different industries. But my favorite things to do is to invite some of my really good friends onto the podcast and just have a conversation. And today... I have like a really early exclusive. It's not really exclusive, but it's really early. I have the 2020 Toastmasters World Champion of Public Speaking, Mike Carr, here on Making Waves at Sea Level. So Mike is a friend of mine. We've been friends for a couple of years, and especially over about the last 18 months, we've become really good friends. And I will tell you something, is that uh, both of us separately have been really involved in Toastmasters. Uh, Before I was a professional speaker, I was really involved in Toastmasters. It's sort of how I cut my cut my teeth and learned how to be able to tell a story in a business way. Uh, and in 2002, which was 18 years ago, I came in in the top 18 in the whole world in their international speech contest, which back then 20,000 people entered at the club level. And then I ended up in the top 18 in the world. And people say, Tom, how did you end up in the top 18 in the world? Only nine people go to the finals. Well, I went to the semifinals and I was the runner up to one of the finalists. There were nine finalists. So if you do the math, I was in the top 18 in the world. But here's the thing. The guy who beat me, he went on to win the whole thing, which means maybe I was number two. We just don't really know. So I'll stick with I was in the top 18 in the world. And I was always really proud of that until today, the day we're actually recording this at the end of August. Toastmasters had their international speech contest. Now this year, because of COVID, they had to cancel their conference. And I've been to one of their international conferences. There's usually a couple thousand people in a big fancy ballroom. People are hugging. There's beers being drink in the the bar afterwards. However, in COVID world, everybody had to stay home. So this year, Toastmasters did a great thing. They didn't cancel their event. They said, let's pivot. And they moved their contest to an online deal. So it actually was recorded yesterday and then broadcast today with the winner being announced. And so I had the pleasure to spend the morning watching the entire contest with a couple of friends, one of them being my friend, Mike Carr, who was a finalist. And uh, then, you know, like a half hour after the contest ended, they announced the winner and it's Mike. And so I had made him promise me back when he was going to the semifinals, that if he won, he had to come on this podcast, like first, before he could do any other podcasts. And not only is Mike Carr the world champion of public speaking for the year 2020, he is also a man of his word. And so he is here on Making Waves at Sea Level. So Mike, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I am I am uh, actually honored and truly honored to be here. Well, this I think you have first a- podcast, first interview, first anything. Nice. Post, Post victory. That, that's yeah, awesome. I, 
<laughs> so, so Mike's background is for 25 years, he has been a financial analyst and he actually helps clients see around financial corners. Now that's something, I don't just have a financial corner, I have like a financial brick wall. I probably should be working with Mike so we could find the corner. He's really good at what he does. He's been extremely successful. He's grown year over year, this great financial consulting practice. And he's also a speaker uh, in his own right. He actually talks to people about uh, how do you ramp up communication in this virtual world, which actually sets him up really well for what went on in the Toastmasters world. And then he also talks about uh, a couple of other topics that maybe we'll get into on that. But so, Mike, tell me a little bit about your career. Let's forget about today. I know that a lot of stuff going on today, but let's talk about your career as a financial planner and then what you do as a speaker. Right. Sure. And, and I actually started out in politics uh, years ago, whereas working with my, my foyer into finance was working with a U.S. senator who was on the Senate Finance Committee, but had worked around politics for a while, quickly figured out that the world of politics is a very political world. <laughs> and I, <laughs> Boy, you had to be a smart kid to figure that out. Boy, politics yeah, right. is really political. Right. So decided to uh, to scoot past that. And and actually, actually, one of the big I, I went into politi politics because I wanted to make a difference. But then I started seeing that the people who truly were able to make a difference were those in the free market. So pivoted, went over into the free market. I was sitting at breakfast one day with a guy who was uh, working at Merrill Lynch. And I just asked him, what what do you do? And what he described was something that sounded like one foot firmly planted in, in sales and marketing and one foot firmly planted in applied macroeconomics. And that fascinated me. So I went and talked with his managers, started a practice there, uh, failed and failed and failed every way I could, tried everything. And little by little, that practice began to grow and uh, then ended up selling it to um, then Payne Weber, which was becoming, it was, was being bought out by UBS. Went in and managed offices for them for about eight, nine years. And, um, and then really missed working directly with clients. I, I, was, I was really more managing. I was I, managing individuals who were working with clients. And there is a firm actually in here in Austin. It is the oldest financial planning firm in Austin. Um, had my neighbor well, lived down the street, and he would he typically would wander down the street with a bourbon and coke in his hand. <laughs> and then one day I saw him coming, and he had two tumblers in his hand. And he came over and he said, "Hey, what would you think about our going into partnership together and that we were transitioning from a founder who had built a great business and we were looking at transitioning then that business into somebody and, and he needed to talk with somebody whom he could trust and also, and hopefully whom he liked <laughs> at least a little <laughs> bit, but also somebody who was not green. Right. So you've been working there now and, and growing that business for how long? Been eight years. Yeah. So going back to what you were saying about starting your career, you said, you know, I mean, going to work at, at Merrill Lynch, I know a lot of people who have done that. And you said, you know, you struggled and you struggled and you tried and you failed. That's common for people who work in lots of industries, certainly in financial services, but you had a stick-to-itiveness. You, you, you kept going. And that is something that uh, I think always leads people to success, right? Well, 
maybe not always, but people who succeed always have that stick to Right. Right. And I, I would say one thing also is uh, I, I was fine with simple pleasures <laughs> because that's all I could afford for a long time or we could afford for a long time. So uh, my wife did a lot of little side jobs. We did. I actually threw a paper route for a while to to get the mortgage paid so I could continue on the financial services business. And, you know, that's fascinating because so many people aren't willing to go do something like that, but you did what you had to do. Now, along the way, you guys also had a couple of kids, right? We did. How many kids? Mike, just tell everybody who's listening how many kids you have. We have eight children. And they range in ages from, I know the, the youngest are twins and they're 13 years old. How, how old is the oldest? Right. Yeah. My, the oldest is my first baby girl in Chicago now, and she's 29. Nice. Nice. My oldest lives in Chicago. They should, oh. they should hang out once uh, COVID is over. They should. So, they should. you know, it's, it's interesting because with eight kids, I mean, you have to do what you have to do to, to get the mortgage paid and to, to get people fed and, and things like that. So did you always have sort of that roll up your sleeves and do what it take attitude even as a kid? I don't know there. I would say if I'm really honest, but I think, I think this is true with a lot of people. We, we put that persona out there that I'm always roll up my sleeves and go. But the reality is there are times I get tired. There are times I get discouraged. There are times I have been, I have, I have not, I was not confident and did not think I could do it. There, there are times I have shrunk back from doing what I really could have done or, or should have done. And, the, and when I really get, when I, a lot of times I, I will go in and talk with leaders and will end up listening. And if they will really be real with me, then I hear that from everybody, that everybody faces those dark nights of the soul. And um, there are times when they press through brick walls and there are times when uh, a paper in the wind could could blow them over. Oh yeah, I mean so, I've got I've got days I curl up in a little ball and want to cry. Oh yeah, yeah. Two thousand eight, you know, in financial services. Yeah. I I would call I would say twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, twenty twenty is a good good example as well. So, uh, Mike, so you've been successful in that world, but I also know that you got involved with working on your communication skills many many years ago. You've been in Toastmasters over 25 years. Uh, you and I are about the same age. I've been involved about the same amount of time in, in learning how to communicate better. So, what made you say, "I'm a financial planner"? Boy, if I could communicate better, I would have more success. What What made you join a Toastmasters club? You know, two and a half decades ago. Right. I really, there were two main things as I was communicating a message early on. It was a, an investment program and financial planning. Financial planning was a new concept 25 years ago outside of some boutique little shops around. So as I would communicate that those two ideas, I would find myself saying, ah, and, um, and, and so, and, ah, and, um, as I was thinking to the point of distraction, that was the first problem. Second problem was, and this was the biggest problem, I would start going down a line of discussion and then I think of something and I run off on a tangent and I think of something else, I run off on a tangent and then another tangent. And then I couldn't remember what the original question was or the original point. So I ducked into Toastmasters because I had a buddy who said, mm, you need some help with that. <laughs> and well, I know and, where you and, can get some. And it's so funny because, you know, I mentor people and one of the things I always tell them to do, especially if they're in their 20s, is join a Toastmasters club, participate every week for two years, 
and you will never be sorry that you made that time investment. It doesn't cost very much. And and you'll just you'll you'll just be a better communicator. I had no idea when I got involved for many of the same reasons, right? My my story is like yours. I actually gave a presentation for my boss because he got called out of town and it was epically bad to the point it was so bad it got back to my boss. And so part of my review was you're gonna join a Toastmasters club and I didn't even know what it was. And back then you had to like send Toastmasters a letter and they mailed you information about the clubs in your area because there was no internet. And right. I remember showing up at it thinking everybody was gonna be these, these super polished speakers. And I showed up at like a Jim's coffee shop in North Austin and went to, it was called Balcones Toastmasters. It's still around, but I ended up moving south. So I, I left that club a long time ago. But, uh, and, and I literally, I literally was just blown away when I started doing it, how quickly I was able to learn and grow and, and everything along those lines. And and I just, I, I liked getting better at it. I didn't know I was gonna end up being a professional speaker um, and doing the things that I do now, but, but it definitely impacted my career outside of speaking. Do you agree for most people, if you're, if you're a better communicator, it's gonna help you grow your career no matter what you do? Oh, it's so true. It's so true. And, and you know, I, I was never at the level in, I was at, at Merrill Lynch and UBS and then a, a small private bank out of Dallas, SWS, before they got bought by Hilltop. And I was never at the level of probably some of the individuals that you that you talked to, but I was just below to be able to see who continued to climb, who would keep going. And at that level, whenever they get up close to the CEO and a, few, and a, and a couple of levels down, everybody's good everybody's talented and the, and everybody is brilliant. So the difference that I saw was the, the difference of the people that got moved forward or even more importantly, actually drove results were those individuals that were able to take those ideas. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level, the podcast formerly known as Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Uh, you know, I have had so much fun. Now we are at like almost 600 episodes. This one, I think, is like 591 or 92, something like that. And I've had so much fun along the way. I have interviewed entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business leaders, CEOs, people in all different industries. But my favorite things to do is to invite some of my really good friends onto the podcast and just have a conversation. And today... I have like a really early exclusive. It's not really exclusive, but it's really early. I have the 2020 Toastmasters World Champion of Public Speaking, Mike Carr, here on Making Waves at Sea Level. So Mike is a friend of mine. We've been friends for a couple of years, and especially over about the last 18 months, we've become really good friends. And I will tell you something, is that uh, both of us separately have been really involved in Toastmasters. Uh, before I was a professional speaker, 
I was really involved in Toastmasters. It's sort of how I cut my cut my teeth and learned how to be able to tell a story in a business way. Uh, and in 2002, which was 18 years ago, I came in in the top 18 in the whole world in their international speech contest, which back then 20,000 people entered at the club level. And then I ended up in the top 18 in the world. And people say, Tom, how did you end up in the top 18 in the world? Only nine people go to the finals. Well, I went to the semifinals and I was the runner up to one of the finalists. There were nine finalists. So if you do the math, I was in the top 18 in the world. But here's the thing. The guy who beat me, he went on to win the whole thing, which means maybe I was number two. We just don't really know. So I'll stick with I was in the top 18 in the world. And I was always really proud of that until today, the day we're actually recording this at the end of August. Toastmasters had their international speech contest. Now this year, because of COVID, they had to cancel their conference. And I've been to one of their international conferences. There's usually a couple thousand people in a big fancy ballroom. People are hugging. There's beers being drink in the bar, in the bar afterwards. However, in COVID world, everybody had to stay home. So this year, Toastmaster did a great thing. They didn't cancel their event. They said, let's pivot. And they moved their contest to an online deal. So it actually was recorded yesterday and then broadcast today with the winner being announced. And so I had the pleasure to spend the morning watching the entire contest with a couple of friends, one of them being my friend, Mike Carr, who was a finalist. And uh, then, you know, like a half hour after the contest ended, they announced the winner and it's Mike. And so I had made him promise me back when he was going to the semifinals, that if he won, he had to come on this podcast, like first, before he could do any other podcasts. And not only is Mike Carr the world champion of public speaking for the year 2020, he is also a man of his word. And so he is here on Making Waves at Sea Level. So Mike, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. I am I am uh, actually honored and truly honored to be here. Well, this I think is the you have first podcast, first interview, first anything. Nice. Post post victory. That, that's yeah, awesome. I- <laughs> so so Mike's background is for 25 years, he has been a financial analyst and he actually helps clients see around financial corners. Now that's something I don't just have a financial corner. I have like a financial brick wall. I probably should be working with Mike so we could find the corner. He's really good at what he does. He's been extremely successful. He's grown year over year, this great financial consulting practice. And he's also a speaker uh, in his own right. He actually talks to people about uh, how do you ramp up communication in this virtual world, which actually sets him up really well for what went on in the Toastmasters world. And then he also talks about uh, a couple of other topics that maybe we'll get into on that. But so, Mike, tell me a little bit about your career. Let's forget about today. I know that a lot of stuff going on today, but let's talk about your career as a financial planner and then what you do as a speaker. Right. Sure. And, and I actually started out in politics uh, years ago, whereas working with my, my foyer into finance was working with a U.S. senator who was on the Senate Finance Committee, but had worked around politics for a while, quickly figured out that the world of politics is a very political world. <laughs> and I, <laughs> Boy, you had to be a smart kid to figure that out. Boy, politics yeah, right. is really political. Right. So decided to, uh, to scoot past that. And, and actually 
Actually, one of the big, I, I went into politics because I wanted to make a difference, but then I started seeing that the people who truly were able to make a difference were those in the free market. So pivoted, went over into the free market. I was sitting at breakfast one day with a guy who was uh, working at Merrill Lynch, and I just asked him, what, what do you do? And what he described was something that sounded like one foot firmly planted in in sales and marketing and one foot firmly planted in applied macroeconomics. And that fascinated me. So went and talked with his managers, started a practice there, uh, failed and failed and failed every way I could, tried everything. And little by little, that practice began to grow and uh, then ended up selling it to um, then Payne Weber, which was becoming, it was, was being bought out by UBS. Went in and managed offices for them for about eight, nine years. And, um, and then really missed working directly with clients. I, I, was, I was really more managing. I was I, managing individuals who were working with clients. And there is a firm actually in here in Austin. It is the oldest financial planning firm in Austin. Um, had my neighbor uh, lived down the street and he would, he typically would wander down the street with a bourbon and Coke in his hand. <laughs> and then one day I saw him coming and he had two tumblers in his hand and he came over and he said, Hey, what would you think about our going into partnership together? And that we were transitioning from a founder who had built a great business and we were looking at transitioning than that business into somebody and, and he needed to talk with somebody whom he could trust and also, and hopefully whom he liked <laughs> at least a little bit, but also somebody who was not green. Right. So you've been working there now and, and growing that business for how long? Been eight years. Yeah. So going back to what you were saying about starting your career, you said, you know, I mean, going to work at, at Merrill Lynch, I know a lot of people who have done that. And you said, you know, you struggled and you struggled and you tried and you failed. That's common for people who work in lots of industries, certainly in financial services, but you had a stick-to-itiveness. You, you, you kept going. And that is something that uh, I think always leads people to success, right? Well, maybe not always, but people who succeed always have that stick-to-itiveness. Right. Right. And I, I would say one thing also is uh, I, I was fine with simple pleasures <laughs> because that's all I could afford for a long time or we could afford for a long time. So uh, my wife did a lot of little side jobs. We did. I actually threw a paper route for a while to to get the mortgage paid so I could continue on the financial services business. And, you know, that's fascinating because so many people aren't willing to go do something like that, but you did what you had to do. Now, along the way, you guys also had a couple of kids, right? We did. How many kids? Mike, just tell everybody who's listening how many kids you have. We have eight children. And they range in ages from, I know the, the youngest are twins and they're 13 years old. How, how old is the oldest? Right. Yeah. My, the oldest is my first baby girl in Chicago now, and she's 29. Nice. Nice. My oldest lives in Chicago. They should, oh, they yeah. should hang out once uh, COVID is over. They should. So, they, you know, it's, it's interesting because with eight kids, I mean, you have to do what you have to do to, to get the mortgage paid and to, to get people fed and, and things like that. So did you always have sort of that roll up your sleeves and do what it take attitude even as a kid? I don't know there. I would say if I'm really honest, but I think, I think this is true with a lot of people. We, we put that persona out there that 
I'm always roll up my sleeves and go. But the reality is there are times I get tired. There are times I get discouraged. There are times I have been, I have, I have not, I was not confident uh, and did not think I could do it. There, there are times I have shrunk back from doing what I really could have done or, or should have done. And, the, and when I really get, when I, a lot of times I, I will go in and talk with leaders and will end up listening. And if they will really be real with me, then I hear that from everybody, that everybody faces those dark nights of the soul. And um, there are times when they press through brick walls and there are times when uh, a paper in the wind could, could blow them over. Oh, yeah. I mean, so, I've, got, I've got days I curl up in a little ball and want to cry. Oh yeah, yeah. Two thousand eight, you know, financial services. Yeah. I I would call. I would say twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, twenty twenty is a good good example as well. So, uh, Mike, so you've been successful in that world, but I also know that you got involved with working on your communication skills many many years ago. You've been in Toastmasters over twenty five years. Uh, you and I are about the same age. I've been involved about the same amount of time in, in learning how to communicate better. So, what made you say? I'm a financial planner. Boy, if I could communicate better, I would have more success. What what made you join a Toastmasters club, you know, two and a half decades ago? Right. I the, the, really there were two main things as I was communicating a message early on. It was a an investment program and financial planning. Financial planning was a new concept 25 years ago outside of some boutique little shops around. So as I would communicate that those two ideas, I would find myself saying, ah, uh, and, um, and, and so, and, ah, uh, and, um, as I was thinking to the point of distraction, that was the first problem. Second problem was, and this was the biggest problem, I would start going down a line of discussion and then I think of something and I run off on a tangent and I think of something else, I run off on a tangent and then another tangent. And then I couldn't remember what the original question was or the original point. So I ducked into Toastmasters because I had a buddy who said, mm, you need some help with that. And it's so funny because, you know, I mentor people. And one of the things I always tell them to do, especially if they're in their 20s, is join a Toastmasters club, participate every week for two years, and you will never be sorry that you made that time investment. It doesn't cost very much. And, and you'll, just, you'll, you'll just be a better communicator. I had no idea when I got involved for many of the same reasons, right? My, my story is like yours. I actually gave a presentation for my boss because he got called out of town. And it was epically bad to the point it was so bad it got back to my boss. And so part of my review was you're going to join a Toastmasters club. And I didn't even know what it was. And back then you had to like send Toastmasters a letter and they mailed you information about the clubs in your area because there was no internet. And right. I remember showing up at it thinking everybody was going to be these, these super polished speakers. And I showed up at like a Jim's coffee shop in North Austin and went to, it was called Balcones Toastmasters. It's still around, but I ended up moving South. So I, I left that club a long time ago, but, uh, and, and I literally, I literally was just blown away when I started doing it, how quickly I was able to learn and grow and, and everything along those lines. And, and I just, I, I liked getting better at it. I didn't know I was going to end up being a professional speaker um, and doing the things that I do now, but, but it definitely impacted my career outside of speaking. Do you agree for most people? If you're, if you're a better communicator, it's going to help you grow your career no matter what you do. Oh, it's so true. It's so true. And, and, you know, I, I was never at the level in, 
I was at, at Merrill Lynch and UBS and then a, a small private bank out of Dallas, SWS, before they got bought by Hilltop. And I was never at the level of probably some of the individuals that you that you talked to, but I was just below to be able to see who continued to climb, who would keep going. And at that level, whenever they get up close to the CEO and a, few, and a, and a couple levels down, everybody's good. Everybody's talented and, the, and everybody's brilliant. So the difference that I saw was the, the difference of the people that got moved forward or even more importantly, actually drove results were those individuals that were able to take those ideas and communicate them out to their teams and those that worked you know, below them. But if they could even inspire those people who were working below them, it was rocket fuel on their career. Yep. And I've, I've always said is it's a little bit of the chicken and the egg. Are CEOs great communicators because they learned to be great communicators on the path to be CEO? Or did they become CEO because they were good communicators? You know, is vice versa. Is it, did they get the job because they're a good communicator or did they learn to communicate while they were while they were growing that job? And I think both is the answer. It can be either one, but it's very rarely you run into a leader at that, that level. It happens, but it's very rare you run into a leader at that level who can't communicate at least well. Right, right. Really honest and self-aware CEOs tell me in quiet at the bar with a nice drafter. I've bought a couple of drinks usually is I'm not the best strategist. I'm not the smartest guy in the room. I just happen to be able to communicate the vision the best. And so I need people around me. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so really quick, because I do want to talk about this, this kind of huge accomplishment that happened just a few hours ago. But what led you into speaking as part of your career? Did you start doing it as a financial planner? And then you went on to these other topics? What, what uh, brought you there? I'd always enjoyed speaking and telling stories going back to, you know, times I grew up in church, and I'd, I'd, you know, give the give the sermon whenever the the little class of, of, of guys did. It was only guys back then. And, um, I would, I would give the, the sermon. So I, I liked being up in front of people. I just needed some direction. So as I was looking away to build the financial services business, I, I thought about, well, Hey, I, I was a big Zig Ziglar fan. I thought, Hey, to be a professional speaker or what? And, and my wife said at some point, she said, well, you know, speakers got to talk about something. So it could be financial services. So I started doing financial seminars and that's really what built that first business was that that took off. There was a need and I tried to make them at least a little entertaining. Sure. So nowadays you kind of help people with this idea of how do you ramp up your communications in this virtual world? But one of the things you do, and I started on it in the, in the introduction, but I want to go deeper on this for just a second. One of the things you talk about is how motivation is no longer it, it but determination is. And I love that. I've heard you talk about that before, but can you elaborate on, on what's wrong with motivation and, and why is <laughs> determination better? Right, right. And really, the only reason I throw motivation under the bus <laughs> is because everybody just believes that motivation is the only thing. What I've found, and there's there's so much wonderful psych research on this, is that leaders, well, let's just stop. If you look at the DISC exam, the you know, DISC, 50% of all leaders are Ds. D dominant, right? But 
D's only make up 3% of the population. Okay, so what that means is that a D dominant has up to 97% of her team sees the world very differently than she does. So she is, she is building messaging. She's building compensation programs that they're not bad. They're strongly motivating. They're motivating for someone like her. They're motivating for a dominant personality. So Motivation is really not bad, but what I call determination is actually what this this final speech was about today. I just encourage the audience that don't look at the results. And my, my mission today was that there are such a population out there that have magic in them that they are keeping in because they are so afraid that if they let it out, the results just won't be there. And so what I tried to do is give them air cover to say, then don't look at the results. Just the try is the victory. The winning is opening up and sharing your magic with the world, whatever nice. that may be. Nice. And, and, and real leaders who can identify that can make a huge difference in the productivity of their teams. Sure. So you've been involved in Toastmasters over 25 years. How many years have you entered the international speech contest at your club level? Oh my goodness! I can't count. Mo I, most lost. years? Did you enter at the? Do you enter at your club most years? Most years. Yeah. Yes. So twenty times. Let's make up a number. So twenty times. Right. Right. And, and this and 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 the way the international to Toastmasters Championship works is, I believe, at least this is the way it was eighteen years ago when I placed in the top eighteen in the world. Did I mention that? Oh yeah, I, I did. Uh, I actually read that somewhere else. Yeah, that's right. Um, uh, there were six levels. So you had your club, then you had an area, then you had a district, then you had a division. Then there was the region, which was sort of the semifinals. And then there was uh, the actual championship that was held at their convention. Is it still the same way? Is it still six times that you have to, to compete? I think they've added a seventh, actually, because Toastmasters has grown, particularly in Asia and and now in the Middle East, it's really growing. In, in fact, I heard that this year, 30,000 people entered at their club level. Because I always remember 20,000 people had entered at their club level in 2002. Because I always thought, wow, that's a lot of people. So, you know, 17 years, 18 years later, that's, you know, that's a 50% a growth of the organization around the world. That's a lot. Right, right. So, so now it's club and then you go to area, division, and then district. And then district goes to a regional playoff yeah. <laughs> a regional contest that's all video and then out of the region goes to semifinals which are 28 individuals in four different semifinals and then the finals are are the final eight sure so this year in the middle of their competition because it starts at kind of the first of the year at the club in the middle they had to pivot to everything had to be video so right. what was it like having you you've made it to the semifinals before what was it like to suddenly see the whole organization have to pivot and realize, oh my gosh, I'm not going to be on a big stage to do the last several levels. I'm going to have to record something. Was it, was it daunting? You know, actually it was kind of fun. <laughs> it's uh, it was a little, a little like surfing because it, I started out, it was live and then COVID came in and we didn't know how COVID would, would affect. And then everything went online so we were doing video. Well, we didn't know if COVID would go away before the, the international convention in August. So we 
there, it, it kind of hung out there. You didn't know if we were supposed to be in Paris this year. Didn't know if I was going to be hopping a plane. Didn't know if we we're going to do it virtually. Oh, wait a minute. You could have <laughs> won this whole thing in Paris. I, I was in Paris this morning. I just was there. <laughs> it felt like Paris. Is that what you're <laughs> so to do the, the, the six or seven levels that you have to go through, you do three different speeches, right? It's one takes you up the first several levels and then the semifinals and the finals have to have totally unique new speeches. Is that correct? Only two now. Oh, okay. You can do the same speech all the way through the semifinals, but it has to be a, brand, a completely different speech. For the finals, for the, for the, for the championship. So, so the speech yeah. that I watched you do this morning, and it was recorded yesterday, and my, my memory of the way this worked is they had all eight contestants yesterday compete back-to-back, like you would live, uh, in sort of a private setting, and it was recorded, and the judges were there, and the judges made their decisions, and then they broadcast it this morning as the last day of the International Online Convention. Is that right? Yes. So you got to watch yourself this morning, not knowing that you would place or win or anything else, and, and you and I were together with a couple friends. It was it was kind of fun. I was watching you on the television. Our friends had set up outside so that we could be masked and socially distanced in their backyard, um, and uh, I was watching the TV that they put out there, but then I was watching you, and it was kind of fun to watch Mike watch Mike on, on, the, <laughs> on the TV. Was that surreal? It was a little bit. One of the things that was the most surreal, you know, when you first walked in and I was behind the tree. <laughs> yeah. So I showed up in my friend's backyard and I jumped like about three feet because I passed this big tree and he's like right there. It was like, what the hell? Yeah. Well, it's because I woke up this morning and, and I just thought, oh, no, I reached too far. I, I took some risks in that speech for a Toastmaster audience. And I, I, I thought I woke up this morning. I went, no, I reached too far. It's going to suck. And, so, and I hadn't seen the video of myself. So I just didn't know how it translated. So it had just come up and I had raced forward to watch myself before I sat with my friends to watch me in case it really sucked. I could go, nope, I, nope, I I'm not winning, by the way. Yeah, right. So <laughs> so you took some risks and I, I, I will tell you, so I'm I'm a super heavy critical person to have watch speakers. In fact, even other speakers are like, God, Tom, cut people a break. I mean, I'm, I'm I watch for two things. I look for content and I look for ability to captivate as a speaker. Now, within Toastmasters, there's some other things. There's the way you use your hands. There's the way you use vocal variety. There's other things they're looking for. But I'm just looking for, are you captivating me? And is there something worthwhile in your content? And I thought, I mean, you blew me away. And I was watching everybody. And when you came on, I tried to say, I'm not sitting next to him and he's not my buddy. And I just thought that you had won. Like, I've been to enough Toastmasters things that I know it's always close and things like that. But afterwards, I told our friend, there's no way he didn't win. You were you were head and shoulders above, and it was because of those risks you took. So tell us about those calculated risks that you took that were taken because we were in a virtual world. Right, right. The The original speech I had planned to give today, it was a speech that was designed for a big stage. And so I had originally thought I would just give that that speech standing in front of the camera and maybe move around a little bit. But then the more we, we dealt with this virtual environment, it just started to kind of play on me. And I thought, okay, it's completely outside of my control, whether I win or not, whether a certain group of judges pick me or don't pick me. So 
what would be fun? What would, and, and the audience is, has seen now the smaller stage for so long, you can't go side to side. So what would be fun? And I had a really good, you know, Amy Samet. Oh, yeah. Amy, Amy, Amy Samet had texted me and said, just remember, if you're having fun, the audience will have fun. And I said, thought, ooh, that's, and so I. You know what? I, I'm going to cut you off. That is awesome advice because I would say, if you were to say what was something that made Mike stand out, it was, I think you had the most fun. Other people did too. Everybody was great, by the way. I'm not dissing anyone in that competition. Every, was everyone was great. Anyone could have placed. But I definitely, you. It's, I, I mean, Amy, I hope Amy will listen to this. I love Amy. I haven't seen her in ages, but back when I used to compete, I competed against her locally. I know her through Toastmasters from long ago. She gave you the best piece of advice imaginable because that, when you said it, I'm like, well, duh, you had so much fun as you did the presentation. It was, it was super clear. Uh, well, thanks. Yeah. And it was, I, 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 it was fun. It was, it was fun. And so it was, it was, it was, even if, if I had not placed at all, I would have walked away saying that was a fun experience. That was a, that was a, that was an interesting experiment and it was a fun experiment. And so some of the risks that I played was I, um, I ended up down in the corner. I started the speech down in the corner where the only thing you could see was my head. Yeah, my it, was, head. it was like your nose up. It was your eyeballs and your, your hairline was all you could see. Right, right. Because I start telling the story of a kid, you, this, you, the speech drops into the middle of a story of a kid in sixth grade watching a movie. And, and so I thought, okay, that, that could be fun, small, you know, short kid, and it's probably something different. Then I also thought about this, th this defined space around us. And I thought, okay, you can't simulate sliding a door if you're on a big stage you can't simulate sliding a door over or climbing up out of a hole but if you're in this virtual environment you could and so played with some of that i also came up at one point put my thumb completely over the camera to black it out simulating the lights going out and i just didn't know if toastmaster judges would absolutely hate that or not uh, or if the audience would, hey, that, that's when I was looking at it when you walked in. I, I just didn't know if that would translate. There was a time I, I I flashed in front of the screen simulating, remember the old films and a film projector that as they would get caught up, they would kind of stutter. and, and yeah, when, would, the, when the film would burn and, and, and get all shaky, if you were in a movie theater, go, thick, 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 thick. you did right, a good right. job. You it, ran your hand like an inch in front of the camera really, really fast, simulating that flashy breaking of the film. Right. Right. And I just I didn't know if that would look cartoony, you know, or not. But I, I wanted to give it a shot because I hadn't seen anybody else in any environment, Toastmasters, non-Toastmasters, industry. I'm 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 convinced, I think kind of like you, Tom, that we'll go back to live events, but this virtual experience is here to stay and it will become both and. And so you know, for individuals, uh, for individuals in the Toastmaster audience who are going to be on virtual and communicating that way, I kind of wanted to blow things open and say, 
okay, look, you can play with this and you're a lot more creative than I am. Go, go take risks. What could you come up with that I could steal? <laughs> well, and the, and the other thing that you did really effectively, and, and I've seen some people on Twitter and Facebook and stuff from the Toastmaster world, because of course I've been following it all afternoon as everybody's going, oh my God, he was so great. Um, and one of the things people talked about was your use of the virtual stage. And I don't know, and I've been speaking virtually long before COVID, but certainly the last six months. And I don't think I've actually thought of the rectangle that we sit in on Zoom as our virtual stage. But as you said, you started in the lower corner, then you rose up and you can't really go side to side a lot in a little short box because you got to be close enough to the camera. This is one of the things a lot of people like to stand up and be far away and their whole body is there. It's like, I can't even see your face. You're too far back. So you don't want to do that. But at the same time, if you're if you're two thirds, you know, if you're like chest level up and you go side to side, now you're going to make me seasick. But what you did that was so good was you moved in close to the camera as you told part of the story. I mean, your nose came in closer. And then at one point, as you talked about, like being a kid and backing away, you actually took those steps back. And so you used the close up and, and far back part of that stage in a way that I haven't seen a lot of people do, especially in something as important as the world championship of public speaking. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was fun to, it was fun to play with. And I did not, I did not know if it would work. And, and it, I, did. Uh, <laughs> it, it did. It did. But I think that's one of the, I think that's one of the things in, in some of the, in some of the things that you're asking what I speak about is I think that if we don't get so tied to results, it does tend to blow the doors open where we're willing to try some things. And, and, if, and, if, and if leaders can give air cover to something like that, maybe the, the challenge is how do you, how do you um, help individuals have success when they're, when they're maybe failing, but they're contributing to the productivity and innovation of the group. And, that those those uh, smarter minds than me will figure out how how to do that. But well, and in, in, in interviewing, you know, hundreds and hundreds of executives, trying new things has been something that when I say, how do you make waves? How do you shake things up in your company? You know, that's one of the really common answers that people have is that, you know, if you don't try it, you're never going to be able, you know, to, to succeed. And so the fact that you were willing to take those risks, play with the camera, play with the foreground and the background, cover up the camera with your thumb, whatever it was. By doing those things, you were able to create an experience that obviously stood out for the judges and, and put you into that 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 first place arena. So uh, we all watched the contest together, but then you had to go home because had you won, they were going to interview you, uh, you know, at the, at the very end of the conference. So you left and then 15, you went home and then 15 minutes later, they announced the winner. So I didn't get to be with you when you found out. What did it feel like when you found out that you were the 2020 world champion of public speaking. I thought, I didn't see that right. <laughs> <laughs> Did they say I Mike? Pulled. Did they say Mike Carr? <laughs> right. Uh, I thought, wait, wait, wait. I, I pulled that back up. I, I, I will I, say he texted me, holy shit. <laughs> That's right. That was, um, I didn't quite say that in front of my kids, but I was I was in, in our master bath. I was getting dressed just in case I needed to be on camera and I, I refreshed the screen and looked down and an infographic, I found an infographic came up where there was a, a triangle and I was at, or a pyramid really fit. And I was at the top of that and went, and I started, I went, 
did that say first place? <laughs> my, my kids and, 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 and my family said they heard me say from back here, oh, crap. And they said, they don't know what that means. That means that dad either won or he lost or he dropped a roll of toilet paper. I don't know what that means. But they came around and, and, I, kept, and I kept looking at it. Yeah. Your, your wife posted a video online of the kids jumping up and down and hugging you and stuff like that. I thought that was, I thought that was really, really cool. So what happens now? What do you do? What do you do? So I, I appreciate that making waves at sea level is your first podcast appearance because I'm going to make a little prediction. All right. In the world of COVID, everyone who breathes air has started a podcast. Um, a lot of people in the speaker world have started podcasts. A lot of people in the Toastmasters world have podcasts um, and and other worlds. My guess is, is that you're going to be doing a lot of of podcast interviews as the world champion of public speaking. But, but what, I mean, how does this, what, what does it mean? It's a good question. And, uh, the, the, the Toastmaster folks asked me that, what, you know, how would this change your life? And the reality is, I, I don't know. I don't know how it will, how it will change. I think the thing that this does give me is the credibility to say to that population that, is is holding their magic inside as i've chosen to describe it to give them to give with credibility now to be able to say you know no if you just give it a try you you can you if the if the results scare you to death it still can work to ignore that and just try something and that be the win now there's a certain population that the results drive them they need them there but if you could have an entire other population of teams or, or creativity come online, and, and that's really my mission, if I have anything. And I, I, think, I, I think this gives me some credibility maybe to say, to, to talk about that, talk to that population and, and, and talk about that. And then, and then maybe just to be able to tell more funny, hopefully funny and entertaining stories around life and business principles to audiences about finance productivity leadership and, uh, and, and communication and the world championship of public speaking i didn't look this up but i i think it began in like the 80s it's not as old as toastmasters but it goes back to the 1970s or 1980s you actually are the second person from austin that I know of, maybe there was another one, but the but David Brooks, who was a friend of mine, uh, was the 1990 world champion of, of public speaking, and and he had been a school teacher, and he actually parlayed that into being a professional speaker and corporate trainer uh, for an entire entire career. And uh, uh, Darren Lacroix, who is like one of the leading educators on on how to use humor when you speak and 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 things like that, he uh, had parlayed his victory into an entire career training people how to communicate and things like that so uh, i think that the world might be your oysters is that uh are, are you hoping to speak more often now i am hoping to speak more often i love my day job i love um there's nothing like someone coming in and being so distraught about their their personal and you know because money touches everything um or everything touches money and they're so, be so distraught about their situation and go through some planning and watch the the weight lift off their shoulders because they know it's going to be okay. So I I love that but to be able to talk about messages there, there there's also a lot of the, you know bad messaging bad ideas out there about 
about finance and investing, maybe to dispel some of those. And and I, I do love speaking, do love t- storytelling and trying to take something technical and make it really make it funny, interesting and entertaining. Yep. And to be able to do more of that in my life, I, I just have to pinch myself. Well, I'll tell you, I, I know that you actually have to be on another call with some people from Toastmasters and stuff at, at the top of the hour here. So I've only got you for a couple of more minutes. But I, I do have to say that it was so much fun to be able to see this happen to a friend. I, I literally almost started crying when I found out that you had won. And it was just so moving to see you do it. And, and it couldn't happen to a nicer person. You you legitimately are one of the nicest nicest people out there. So if you're a company who listens to this and, and you have team meetings or you're a meeting planner, I'm going to tell you right now, you got to track Mike Carr down quick because uh, my guess is his speaking fee is, is going to go up. And I think the other thing is, is that you are essentially the first person to ever win this in a virtual format. Uh, so it, you get a little uh, pl- asterisk in a plus way next to you that, that you didn't just win it. You won it the year of COVID when you had to do it differently. You had to pivot. You had to try new things. You had to be brave and you had to be determined uh, to just make make it work for you. And, and you focused, you know, not on the results, but the experience, which is what you teach. So uh, that all seemed to pay off. Any any last words for people who are listening to making waves at sea level on, on what they can do with communication to to make waves? I would say uh, I would say probably to that group that wants to get to sea level that to to give it a shot, try something. And why do we want to get to the end of our lives not having given it a shot? A lot of times we won't be picked, but we can live courageously and bravely out there doing that. And and in communication, a Toastmaster group is a great a great process and, and, you know, practice, practice Hmm. improves everything. So it is those, it is those individuals who, who are able to communicate the vision, inspire the vision, who end up moving up the ladder. So if someone's listening to this and and they're trying to track you down, how do they find Mike Carr, the 2020 world champion of public speaking? Can I say that too much? Is it getting old yet? No, well, no, not to me, but I'm biased and, and it's, it's still day of. So how, how do they find you? Find me, uh, MikeCarOfficial.com is a good place. I'm also on all the socials, um, LinkedIn, Mike Carr and, and, uh, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much. Thanks for being a good friend. And thanks for letting me go along a little bit on this journey with you. It was so much fun. And, and like I said, I, I can't, I can't remember smiling as much through COVID as I have for about the last five hours. So thank you for uh, for bringing joy to your friends who got to, to, to see you do this. Uh, seriously, people, look them up. I'm sure, uh, probably not this week, but I'm sure soon Toastmasters will have your winning speech posted all over the place. People can track it down. Uh, I'll try to link it from my page once that is posted somewhere where it's easy to access. Uh, but again, Mike, thank you for being on the show. I know that uh, your day is very busy, but I appreciate it. I was just kidding around a couple months ago when I said, if you win the first interview... 
is on making waves at sea level. So thanks for keeping your word. Thanks for doing that's that. That's what got me. That's what kept me going. I thought that's, I can be on Tom's. That's why he won. Podcast. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. That was his motivation right there. Uh, thank you very much for everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every time. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we even do this podcast? I hope that you enjoyed today's interview as much as I did. Like I said, getting to sit here and talk with a friend is awesome. But in 30 seconds, he's due on another call. So at this point, I am going to wrap things up for today. I'm going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Mike Carr. And I know you're thinking, how in the world is that even possible? Uh, But I'll figure out a way to do it. And thank you to my sponsor, as always, that is Podfly Productions. Check them out at podfly.net slash cool things. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.